0: So with me today is Brad Harris of Full Spectrum Survival. He is the host of a hugely popular, eye-opening, mind-opening YouTube channel called Full Spectrum Survival and in it Brad provides daily news comments from near and far, sharing information that we certainly believe here at the Wolfpack community that we as concerned citizens need to know about. Topics range from survival to preparedness, economic, political, global issues and a lot more and as, as I like to say, it's, it's typically the subjects that the mainstream media conveniently likes to leave out, cover up, spin, or otherwise. Um, somehow, Brad has allowed Nutrient Survival to be a proud sponsor, and we're thrilled to have you here today with us. Welcome, Brad.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Eric. You know, it's really a pleasure and an honor to be here with your community. I see preparedness as being more adapted to what we see going on in our world right now. And I think that it's a great partnership and a great agreement of two different subsets of communities, one that is interested in <clears throat> their own longevity, and then one that sees the dangers of our world and says, okay, this is what I need to do as an individual, maybe as a family member to get ready for what's coming. Right on. Well, your content
0: is unsurpassed. It is absolutely top notch. It is also on the bleeding edge. And so that's really my first question is how is it that you always seem to have the inside track on what's relevant to this community?
1: Well, I have a background in programming. And so my background in programming is in the Python programming language and then a little bit in machine learning. And so I adapted, being a preparedness individual, I adapted that background to going out and finding information to see what was going to happen next. And it started out just as a project for my family and my group to say, okay, we want to see what is happening next. You can use it for economics. If you know that a certain uh, sector is going to take off or start to bleed out, you can make good economic decisions. If you knew there was going to be a shortage, you could make good purchasing decisions and do that type of thing. And so what I did is build a program that goes out there in multiple different languages and gathers information. You know, I'm sure that the the listeners know that if you type into Google something about Germany, you're not going to get a German website in the German language. You're going to get whatever they want to throw at you in English. And so a lot of that information gets lost either in translation or even in your accessibility to it. So what I did is I use VPNs and other inf- other data sets to go out and gather that information. I bring it into me and then use a dictionary, which gives you subsets of data that I can assign values to, and allows me to say, okay, well, if uh, nuclear is trending, that gives me a higher value than say, uh, you know, geopolitics or a certain uh, topic like say Trump or Biden. So nuclear would be the thing that the rest of the news circle would be talking about in the next 24 to 48 hours and i just adapted that and started gathering information that way and i figured over time it was a great way to disseminate that information to my community and to people around the world that is fascinating that
0: is absolutely fascinating uh do you speak any languages other than english
1: i do not i'm uh, i'm pretty simple in that regard other than different programming languages okay
0: python included uh that's (laughs) funny that means something to bobby nothing to me but anyway um (laughs) That is that is just it's wild because a lot of times you do you have you have uh, these unseen videos or or this just leaked video or a release that again you know one of these foreign governments that's twelve sixteen hours ahead of us you know right. that that news has already hit their wire and we're just waking up and you're on the ball you know there was a recent summary that you just had that went something like this. And so it is beginning. The Federal Reserve said to create job loss and companies are saying how much. Amazon's laying off 10,000 people, Microsoft, Twitter, others following. We could throw FTX in the, in the midst of that. Sure. The end of jobs is here. Gas prices are expected to blow up in 2023. The US is arming Taiwan. Things are getting bad quickly. And you know, that as context, and there's a lot in there. And every day, there's there's a headline like that you know today something is wrong with the diesel shortage there's this viral right. video out of can or out of china um so brad what do you see as the top warning signs that we are truly not just imaginary we're truly on the verge of a significant event
1: i think if we go back in history we see that time and time again the world experiences experiences different cycles of disaster. And I think if you were to give a pattern to those cycles, you would see that every time we have a biological threat that is recognized around the world, that is then followed by an economic crisis and then that economic crisis is followed again by a world war. And we've done this all the way back from the plague. If you go look at the plagues and you go look at different ec- uh, biological threats in our world's past, every time there was a fall of the economy and then a large group of war after that, between an international or a multi-area war. And it looks like we're just following into that same cycle again. We had the biological threat or concern that was covid we can talk all day about whether that, you know, how uh, in, how full of impact that has been on our world. And then you have the economic crisis that comes with that. And I think that that has a lot to do with the sheer globalization that we have been forced into and how that globalization affects the different mechanisms of trade and barter and supply and demand. And then you have world war. And it looks like we're just falling right into that cycle right now with Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan. Uh the United States of America is being seen as no longer the great policing force of our planet. We basically held that reign since World War II, and the United States dollar vaulted into becoming the reserve currency of the world. It became the petrodollar backed by oil. They took it off gold, pushed it onto oil, and that really shaped the last couple of decades. And a lot of big countries that have been gaining in their own uh independent impacts around our world don't like that. China being number one, India, Russia, and so we have this great grouping of powerful nations, sometimes nuclear weaponized nations, that are really against America holding the reign as the policing force of the world and the USD as the economic backbone of the world. And so I think that we're going to start to see a major shift toward China, toward Russia, toward Mm -hmm, India, mm -hmm. and one that is away from America here in the near future. Wow. That is absolutely frightening.
0: I would, is, yeah. ha- I would have to go back and, you know, I'm sure you've done this already where these three steps, biological threat, economic crisis, world war, clearly we've been through number one. We are yeah. in number two <laughs> and there are signs of number three. Uh, you even, know, you know, I, yesterday, right? With here are a couple of missiles dropping into Poland and right. article five discussion. And right. thankfully, you know, we've unraveled
1: that a little bit. Right. I think that because we this is the first time really our planet has been so interconnected and look, communication. It used to take weeks and weeks from news from around the world to get to our newspapers here in America. And now because of the Internet, because of the connectivity of things, that information is almost immediate. And because we see that immediate Uh, action and reaction around our planet that old cycle that used to take years sometimes Mm. we would have a plague we would have Mm -hmm. uh, economic crisis and then Mm -hmm. we would have world war now it's just sped up very fast very fast and so i think we're cramming all of this into really a, a 24 to 48 month period and if you look at psychologists around the the united states they say that People just can't handle it and that they're seeing a lot of people acting out in violence they're seeing uh depression on a really horrific scale increasing they're seeing anxiety in all age groups six out of ten people are on some sort of psychiatric medication wow. it's just we have a recipe for disaster right here in our country wow and, and probably half of them are running the country Yeah, oh, absolutely
0: yeah that is frightening so well, let's 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 take them a little bit in stride here so Russia Ukraine, they've been at war since February. It's a little bit of yesterday's news, but every day it seems there is a an advance, a counterattack, sabotage, uh errant missiles that land in countries that aren't call it directly involved. How serious do you think things are right now and is this just a new normal that we're gonna see, you know, like our involvement in in Afghanistan, uh, you know, where it's twenty years and Finally, you know, you call it a day, or are we on our way to escalation, especially as winter sets in here and people start
1: to get even more desperate? Yeah, I think we have to pull back the layers and say, why is Russia even doing this? And a lot of the reason, you know, that Russia is doing this is because one, they want to control the food, the grain basket of our planet. Look, even here in the United States of America, you have Bill Gates, you have Carl Icahn, and you have mm-hmm. a uh, massive billionaire saying you have to control the food. Bill Gates became the single largest private uh, farming and agricultural landowner in the USA. Yep. They know that that food crisis is coming. And so it would make sense that if we parallel that to what's happening with Russia, they want to control 30% of the world's wheat production and they would do so in controlling Ukraine. The other one is the energy crisis that we're facing right now. And Ukraine is one of the largest uh, deposits of lithium Mm -hmm. in around our planet. And so if you control the energy and you control the food, You're setting yourself up to become a dominating power in the near future. And when you parallel that, like you did to the United States of America and the Middle East, I think because it's well known that we went to the Middle East to get their war and to contract or to get their oil, to contract that oil, to put it under some sort of American control, either out in the open or behind closed doors, that we see that sort of uh, methodology being applied between Russia and Ukraine.
0: Wow. Uh, it is. It is about you know. Follow the money. Follow the money. The food. Right. The energy. The control. Um, it's a good thing that you know with with Russia and Ukraine such being such the breadbasket with wheat that we're going gluten free here in the United States. <laughs> don't you think? Sure. Sure. (laughs) I
1: think that that's that's definitely a trend that you'll have to uh, bring yourself into in the near future. That's right. That's right. You asked, is it the new normal? I think that it is definitely the new normal. I think that the United States of America, really the whole Western world, NATO included, will have to continue to oppose Russia. And like Russia, the West is going to have to oppose China when China decides to move on Taiwan. It's going to have to oppose Iran as we see that nuclear uh, ordeal really becoming a problem here in the next six months. Everything to bolster the dominance of the United States dollar and the dominance of America, and they have to fight against everything that could potentially weaken that. So I think that what we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine and the West backing uh, Ukraine and, and eventually backing Taiwan, we're just going to see this continue to carry on. I really don't know if we will ever call this world war Mm three because In the declaration of it being a war, each individual country has certain things that they have to do, whether it is like the U.S. and you have uh, different government bodies that have to okay that war or in other countries, they have to give a certain amount of their men and and, uh, supplies to it. So I don't know if we'll ever call it that or else it will be these little operations that just take place over years and years. Yeah,
0: well, it certainly seems like there's a a massive game of chicken going on right now in that region. You know, first with a special operation, quote unquote special operation, then sure. what clearly turns into something more massive than that, as Russian vehicles, tanks stream across the border, um, the counterattacks, the annexation, right of the of the northern regions, I think all in an attempt to incite something bigger than what it is. Do you think? Do you think Russia wants war? with the west
1: yes i think that eventually that has they know that that has to happen that there's no other way to uh to change the status quo that is really the only way you know when we we try to believe our modern culture to be so above and beyond violence uh, but it's it becomes really easy to see that as soon as you pull back a little bit of a buffer of modern convenience, everybody resorts to violence. They all resort to starving out their enemy, uh, you know, doing really heinous things. And I think that we we acknowledge that Russia has to do that if they don't want to stay in their same position and that china will have to do that if they want to increase their position around our world and it's really something that you know our communities need to take into account because we believe here in america that we have this buffer that no one would ever come here but let me tell you they don't have to come here to make things absolutely horrendous for every single american if you take china's control over everything that you have access to at the store. If China decides to stop uh, exportation to Mm -hmm. America, 80% of the items that people see at Walmart, at the grocery store, they're completely gone, literally overnight. And that is really going to be a shock and awe event for a lot of people and why their nutrition and their lifestyle and the continuity of that Mm -hmm. lifestyle needs to be really high on their priority list. Because once it gets there, it's already too late. 100%.
0: You know, it will definitely be a year without Christmas should that happen. Now, we all know China is already buying up U.S. bonds, treasuries, land, factories. Uh, The other day, I I, I read something about China buying property next to a a military bases bases and and Mm -hmm. former strategic defense military bases as well, where where we've housed nukes and and whatnot. Now, I don't want to, you know, say that that's all part of the Chinese agenda. But, sure. you know, I think the only saving grace here is that Russia and China hate each other. I think they hate each other. And they're probably both in the race for global dominance. China probably has a little bit of a leg up on them. But what what do you think is China's, I, I, I want to say short-term agenda, called the next five years, next ten years? Is it really just about Taiwan? Or, or you know, wh- wh- what is it? Because clearly, you know, over the the next 20 years, and China, let's face it, China's been around a long time, and they are perfectly fine with the playing the slow game. yeah, right okay so so what should we expect in the next five to ten years from, from China?
1: Well, I think first when you said that Russia and China have a little bit of opposition there, I think we have to, uh, you know, take the stance that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and also the idea that, you know, mm-hmm. when I win, all my friends eat. And so I think that is the cooperation that you'll see with Russia and China in their opposition of NATO and in their opposition of the USA. Because let's face it, China needs the allies that they have built together russia and china and they each have pretty similar allies they need the brics they need everybody else out there the us australia uh the uk they're fighting for that so called free and open indo pacific which is basically a maritime nato force that will work against china china needs other countries there to help keep that uh, you know keep rein in that area and so i think that you will have them working together uh, if not directly coordinated, uh, you know, in a parallel to each other here over the course of the next couple of years. And as far as China's short-term agenda goes, I think a new economic uh, domination that has been seen, uh, you know, as happening for so long with America and the U.S.E. really since mm-hmm. World War II, China really wants its piece of that pie. So they're going to reabsorb Taiwan, or at least attempt to, and they're going to try and remove America from that uh, Indo-Pacific region. Yeah.
0: What is it about Taiwan? I mean, why, why do they even care about Taiwan? Is there a natural resource there? Is it the economic center that it possesses? Why such a fuss about Taiwan?
1: Well it's uh it's basically like if uh, if Canada wasn't aligned with us and Canada wasn't instead aligned with Russia or aligned with China we would have a real problem in America because that's a real close neighbor that basically allows all of uh, our so-called bad guys right next to us and China wants to be able to continue to control the Taiwan strait as mm-hmm. long as they control mm-hmm. that strait they just have a massive uh you know a thumb on the rest of the world's supply chain mm-hmm. and if they don't control that strait then they ultimately can't gain the economic dominance that they see themselves as needing over the course of the next century. Cause remember they are playing that slow game and, yeah. and they are playing the century long game That's and they right. really want that, you know, dominance to come into its full, uh, full power soon.
0: Right on. Okay. You,
1: you mentioned globalization
0: and I, you know, I, I think we've seen this raise its head and maybe ebb, uh, and you know, with the, with the EU, with the IMF, with all these, unelected uh, globalists, I I think we're starting to see a cracks. Italy, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Brexit. Um, there are other underlying issues that I think are going to force the hand. The energy crisis, mm-hmm. inflation, differences in opinion on how to handle UK- Ukraine, Russia. So, Brad, do you think the EU is going to survive for the next Five, ten years? Or is this the really what we're seeing the beginning of the end?
1: I think you're going to start to see a a real separation there and that's one of the things that i started trying to warn about a couple of years ago is that you need to watch america's one-time allies and watch for those allies to start to kind of separate themselves from america because it used to be that the you know our country could go in and basically do whatever we wanted we could go and invade any country that we wanted give whatever kind of excuse we wanted and most of the world would just say okay America did it. And that day is coming to a close. I would dare say it's over as it stands right now. And so you're going to see one-time allied nations to America kind of play their own game and they're going to uh, you know, w- look out for themselves in the future. And as far as that, how that plays into globalization, I think that globalization worked until it didn't. And they started to see a couple of years ago that we were at the end of that. Because when you look at a government our government's sole purpose is to gain money and gain power, mm-hmm. and like a corporation in the USA in a capitalist system, that that sole purpose of money and power can continue uh, infinitely, and it doesn't matter about everybody who still has to buy from them. They still want more money and more power, and that's what we start to see. We call that a mono- you know a monopoly here in the country. Right. Right. But when it becomes a government that wants so much money and so much power, that's just the name of the game. And they started to see that their ability to continue to get more and take more was coming a little bit to an end. And so they have to really do other things to gain power. Uh, Like you said about the energy crisis, I think that we are definitely, I I don't want to say anything for certain, but I see a lot of very intelligent professors, a a lot of uh, strategists in different realms, each talking about the energy crisis in a very unique way. And that is a possibility. It used to be a very fringe discussion to talk about anything called peak oil. But I think that If we see that today we have a very well understood helium crisis around our planet, we're just almost running out in some regions unless we go out and absolutely find or uh, happen to find more, accidentally even, find more helium. We're running at the end of our ability to use helium as a viable resource. And if you apply that to oil, we're really looking at the possibility of a massive almost mad max style uh disruption in our modern way of life and you know you're just going to see chaos abound around our planet so if countries are catching wind of this possibility it would make sense why they're trying to say well then we need to under the guise of climate change we need to get people to depend less on oil under the guise of climate change we need to get people to switch over to uh you know something else to stop burning things to stop you know stop their modern way of life and get to get them more acclimated to a almost an amish you know a modern amish lifestyle and we would start to see that that kind of makes sense now whether that plays out that's hard to say i mean we Even if peak oil is a real thing, you could be looking at 100 years of declining reserves, but a lot of the things that are happening on our planet would make sense right now.
0: Wow. Well, you're going to have to unpack it a little bit for me
1: around what helium has to do with peak oil okay so helium of course you know is a product of our planet right it's just something that that is uh, uh, it's a finite resource and we have lived under this idea that oil was an infinite resource and ever since it started being drilled it was an understanding that this infinite resource could outlast humanity's consumption but our consumption blew up over the course of the last couple of uh, centuries and even decades. And our consumption of oil just became an unquenchable thirst. Yeah. We use it for everything. I mean, if sure. you look at the byproducts of oil, almost everything that I'm looking everything. at in front of me has been touched by it. The
0: pillow you're sleeping on.
1: Yeah, absolutely The, the, the
0: polyester suit that I used to wear.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. and so we that understanding of its infinite, supply started to wane and we started to see people say okay there might be a problem here we might reach that point where okay. we can't take any more from the ground and what I, what the data that i'm seeing suggests is that we continued to go up in our consumption and the supply was always there and it always fed it but we continued to take more and take more mm-hmm. and the availability started to plateau and we might just be seeing the plateau right now we're not yet at the decline but we're at the plateau where they know that they just can't uh you know take out infinitely
0: well you mentioned lithium and that's highly related to our energy situation and never mind the fact that it probably takes more energy to mine the lithium than you're actually saving sure. <laughs> i mean there's that there's that kind of thing right um but lithium um so the the current administration has made a very hard pivot to green to green energy uh, we've banded major oil projects, Keystone XL, you know, fracking. Are you for fracking? Against fracking? Um, you know, American in- energy independence has kind of been a conversation of the past. Um, yet, I think you know, the data that I've seen is we still are able to cover our consumption needs. Still, right. in the U.S. probably barely. Um, yet, we're seeing soaring soaring energy prices at the pump. Winter is coming. I'm looking at increasing fuel prices to heat my home. I'm next to California here, and we have brownouts, uh, requests from the governor, you know, to not charge your car. Um, the incredible strain on the grid. And we've heard all this in the name of the planet. So what do you think is going on, or what do you think is going on truly under this this, this pivot? Is it this conversation that you're talking about
1: um, you know, returning to this Amish lifestyle? Well, I think that it, it could have something to do with, with a uh, lack of, I, I guess, you know, because it's really an unknown, it could be one of two things, right? It could be either oil as a resource and availability around the planet is at its plateau, or it could be that the, the shifting geopolitics will not allow Western governments to control that resource anymore Mm -hmm. and so they they want to shift us away from it uh, to something that they can control because of course why else would america and nato be backing ukraine so heavily when in 2014 they did absolutely nothing when russia came through and took crimea and so knowing that there's been such a shift and that Ukraine holds on to such a large lithium res- mm-hmm. reserve, mm-hmm. it would make sense that if they want to pivot us toward uh, r- storable energy and away from oil, that they would want to back Ukraine. And in doing so, <clears throat> politicians, being corrupt as always, would start their own corporations inside of Ukraine and control amount of that lithium. I just saw today, actually, I was going to report on it tomorrow, that uh, multi million dollar mining executive was just sitting there shaking hands with zelensky in ukraine offering lots of money to ukraine well what else is a mining executive from america doing in ukraine besides setting up contracts in exchange for money so that he would control lithium
0: wow smoking gun that's right yeah well there's certainly a lot of talk about evs i i personally i own an electric vehicle i have a i have a tesla i love the thing i love it because it's fast not because it's green uh, sure. necessarily. And it is kind of nice not having to stop at the pump, just plugging in at night. That's great and everything.
1: And but, if someone keys your car, you know who did it.
0: <laughs> there's that. And I don't know if you'd be able to find them or prosecute them, but hey, yeah, you might have some camera footage. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's interesting though. It, California just announced that by uh, 2035, they are going to prohibit the sale of uh, fuel fuel gas powered vehicles. And and yet, you know, three, four days later, there is a request by the, the governor as the heat wave comes through, please don't charge your, your electric vehicle. Turn down right. your air conditioning, or, uh, you know, let it heat up to eighty in the house, don't run the dryer, you know, all this this craziness. And never mind the fact that an electric vehicle costs sixty six thousand dollars on average and automakers right. are facing incredible problems delivering them in this race to go EV, you know, mainstream. But yeah. is, is this thing dead before it even gets started?
1: I, I don't know if it will ever be more than a of uh, a, a, a cool and novel push in that realm of technology, uh, much in the way that they they attempted to replace, uh, you know, heat pumps and air conditioning units with uh, those smaller units. What are those called? The uh, Uh, the split mini splits they attempted Mm -hmm. to replace them with mini splits but a lot of the ac guys know that you just they're going to break down that's just not the same you know the technology longevity is not there and so i think it might be that sort of push where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing so the government's saying yes we need to do this they're just reading papers that say we need to do this and making decisions uh that will affect citizens but in the end it won't be adaptable enough to uh, really be so widespread unless we do something different i mean if every and i think it would be absolutely disastrous in my own personal opinion just for the potential consequences but if every region had a uh, you know nuclear power supply and then i could see ev becoming a, a very large industry but without that and without the individual's ability to independently charge their vehicles i see it becoming a, a much harder thing to deal with because after all we can go to the store and we can buy 200 gallons of gasoline if you have the ability to to hold on to it but that equivalent in and vehicles uh you know and batteries would be a little bit hard to come by
0: no no doubt the energy grid is you know completely hamstringing um the proliferation the adaptation of of evs being mainstream you know sure. when when you make this declaration and then the next day you say hey uh please don't charge them it's yeah, just no one's it's gonna want to do it right so i guess we'll see how that turns out uh they are wonderful cars though uh, that's for sure um, let me, you know, it's interesting in this whole context of EVs, it really has been driven by an agenda uh, under the guise of climate change. And it used to be called global warming. Right. And now it's not global warming because I guess it's not warming anymore or or, or yeah. forecasted not to warm it. Ironic, right?
1: Um, they, they find it hard to pitch the term global warming when then, you know, in a couple of weeks they talk about the coldest winter ever. Yeah, no doubt. My hands are freezing, by the way uh
0: yeah so it's just it's just odd how that kind of moves back and forth depending on the way the wind is blowing um no pun intended
1: well i think that you know there was a pretty good article that came out just a couple of days ago about how all the world leaders went into cop 27 which was their climate change meeting of world leaders and 450 of them Flew their large private jets in, which created as much uh, emissions as basically an entire country. And so, I I think while you have this duality of existence, you're just going to find people who say it's absolute garbage. But I guess that that's how it's always been, right? We've had the kings and the queens, the lords and the ladies, and then the rest of us peasants. uh, And and that's a little bit of what we're looking at. It's just becoming that understanding is becoming more widespread and mainstream and so people are kind of at their end and that's why you know every empire falls every currency system falls Mm -hmm. and i think we're at the point now where the bread and circus routine which used to be actual bread and circus and turned into beer and football is at its ending of its capabilities of controlling humanity by diverting their understanding of where we're at uh, you know, geopolitically, and them saying this isn't okay. I'm, I'm not okay with you doing acting in one way, and you know, me acting in another.
0: Yeah, the hypocrisy is 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 just stunning. And I got to say, I'm, I'm really glad I'm living in an era of beer and football versus bread and circus. I, yeah, sure, I, it's way more fun for sure.
1: Oh, it smells better.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, let let's turn to the economy a little bit. It's it's no mystery that our current system of commerce is based on. I guess a notion fiat currency Mm. fiat currency, you know, uh, just a country and and system of countries, many countries that are perfectly content with printing money to solve the problems. And so for me, the, the construct of fiat currency is, has plenty to be concerned about in and of itself. Um, But it also, we are headfirst into this economic crisis and it's the second piece of your three steps. The economic crisis. The impact of inflation is real. Interest rates, the impact on consumers being able to afford um, their automobile loans, their home loans, mortgages sure. are at an all time you know not all time but a a a low right Origination. Sure. Yeah. You, you, you've talked about that. Uh, credit card bills, you know, directly impacting all time highs. All time yeah. high debt. Uh, the the default is going to be on the horizon. Unemployment. News of layoffs. The tech sector. I really think that, look, the tech sector, this is a little bit of, of the revenge of the real worker. Maybe we can talk about that in a bit. But what is going on? I mean, consumer sentiment, what's going on? What is your assessment of what's ahead of us in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months?
1: Well, I think the United States dollar was bound to fail as soon as they took it off of uh, being a res- being a being uh, backed by physical precious metals. And so it became a fiat currency or a promissory note. It even says right on uh, some of the bills in existence that it is a promissory note. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a promise for me to pay you the equivalent of 100 copper pennies, which at the time was weighted against the $1 bill. And so it's kind of like if I wanted to buy your Tesla and I just gave you a promissory note with no backing and you just believed that I was going to pay you and you had no other recourse than that, that's how we would exchange that purchase. But it doesn't work that way because without being backed by something real, it's nothing more than a resemblance of confidence and confidence in that sheet of paper. And even in the currency, that stands behind it is at an all-time low consumer sentiment all-time low people just don't believe that they are able to get ahead in life like their parents or their grandparents were And, and i know this to be true just in the couple of generations that i'm able to witness from my grandma and grandpa and my aunt and uncle at a younger age i believe they owned their home by the time that they were in their 50s and they lived in that home all their lives my parents in their 70s, still have not paid off their home. Lots of people in my friend circle don't have a home paid off. And that idea that this is a country where you could grow up, go to school, get a good job, and live what used to be the American dream is definitely going away. People see that there's a lot more nightmare than there is dream, that they're suckered into debt as soon as they get into college. They're given debt that they might never pay back for something they might never use uh you know in their own studies or in their own uh, workplace and they just don't see their future as being bright anymore and if we look at the opposite effect we start to see why depression is on the increase anxiety is on the increase it's something like 60 plus percent of people who go to get a college degree do not use that college degree to make money but yet they still have to pay the debt on it because of pretty hawkish uh, lending practices. We should never be giving an 18 year old kid, you know, twenty to two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. They don't even know what they're going to do next weekend, let alone what they want to do, you know, in ten years. And so we have these lending practices that are very predatory car you know you can have a horrible credit score and you can play their game and you can go get ten thousand dollars worth of credit even though there's no reason to believe that you would pay it back and so we create kind of a uh, leverage toward uh profits on the lending institution side and that again just like the usd not no longer being backed by a precious metal is doomed to fail and we're starting to see that right now if you look at what biden says uh he just talked about the uh the loan forgiveness, student loan forgiveness right. program, how it was being shot down and argued about all over the, uh, you know, in, in politics in the USA. And they just came right out and said, look, we have the data that says, if you don't forgive it, you're going to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions into the billions of dollars worth of student loan defaults. People are just going to stop paying their bills because mm-hmm. if their choices. Keep my car note and keep my house or pay my student loan debt. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's pretty easy to see which one they're going to give up. Wow. Well, I, geez, that is
0: frightening. Another frightening thing, man. I, I, th- I think I'm going to have nightmares tonight. You talk about the American <laughs> dream. Uh, I, I was kind of thinking it's the American mirage, but the American sure, nightmare yeah. is probably more appropriate. It is it is frightening. It is absolutely frightening. Uh, and even a little loan forgiveness program isn't going to save no, this. No, of course. You know, right, right. Now, I've talked about this in the past as well. There are alternatives to loan forgiveness. You want loan forgiveness? Join the military, right? Uh, serve in the Peace Corps. There are there right. are actually active programs out there for folks if they want to get some relief for their college loans. They can sign up in public service and do something good instead of just hey hand me a ten thousand to twenty thousand dollar check to Absolutely. to you know erase some of this debt that I knowingly took on. Um, okay, so and besides
1: that, that, it encourages the lenders to increase their prices because if if the government's going to start washing the 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 uh, money that they're owed, then they might as well increase the prices because the government will wash it. Plus, the people will pay an extra ten grand more.
0: Right. Well, the people that can. Right. Right. Exactly. You get punished for that because you did the right <laughs> thing. So, um, yeah, I think it is it is just a travesty of the 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 whole program. Uh, but at any rate, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the tech sector. The tech sector is exploding. It is exploding um, facebook google apple uh, twitter you know the the announcements of layoffs and cuts have been stunning stunning and I think honestly it 's a little bit of the revenge of the real worker. Uh, I saw something the other day with somebody showing a video of them walking into Twitter headquarters just before Elon took it, of course. And the first thing is, you know, here's the smoothie bar and here's our free right. gourmet lunches. And here's my meditation area, sleeping room. Okay. Right. Uh, and yes, maybe give me my fat paycheck and you know, Elon and, and crew, they're even checking to see if these employees are real, you know, ghost, right. there's ghost employees out there receiving paychecks or, or maybe were. So what, what do you, what do you think about, is this just, you know, real, you know real people that are doing real hard work um that are that are gonna be having the last laugh here.
1: You know, I think we're just witnessing a bubble, a pop. And because this new tech bubble exists based on, uh, you know, uh, I guess it, it, controversially it could be called, uh, you know, the woke worker. And so the woke worker wanted that, you know, uh, half their day of meditation availability, uh, you know, walk in and get their grass smoothie, uh, do all these different things, which is fine for an individual's taste. It just became a an industry-wide idea of what that worker deserves. And so I think that we just watch this bubble blow up where it's obvious, look, these companies have laid off hundreds of thousands of employees, and the last time I checked, Twitter's still running facebook is still running all these corporations were able to continue operating minus all of this uh, you know fat that they cut off and so i think we're just seeing a lot more of this bubble popping in and i think that that bubble is going to burst pretty soon and it's going to burst in a way that really starts to affect the rest of the economy much in the way that if we look at the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s that took a couple of weeks and then even a couple Mm -hmm. of quarters to catch up in the rest of the world and then people started saying okay we've got a real problem here Mm -hmm. look at ftx and basically you know leveraging nine billion dollars of your money people's money not you as an individual but Mm -hmm. of the real people's money against less than a billion dollars worth of assets that could back it up and then you've got binance and what You know their part in it you've got all these other uh currencies and i think that even gives more evidence to the fact that the united states dollar even though it's had a great run because it's not backed by Mm -hmm. real currency something physical that you can hold in your hand that actually means something Mm -hmm. that it's bound to fail and i don't see crypto as i I love the idea of crypto don't get me wrong as a tech guy absolutely love Mm -hmm. the idea Mm -hmm. But unless you get it backed by something that somebody can hold on to, at the end of the day, it's just you know, a good idea. Wow. I have never thought of it that way. I think
0: you're 100% right. Crypto and, and the notion of, of it, you know, to your point, f- foundationally, it's, it's a brilliant idea, right? Um, but it could definitely be the canary in the mine yeah. uh,
1: as it relates to fiat currencies because I mean, we're looking at the biggest fraud in history with ftx going down actually the largest fraud in world history singular fraud uh so if we start to apply that idea of that being a fraud to what the banking and lending right. industry did in exactly. 2008 and what they're doing now we just have a whole mess on our hands
0: exactly exactly yeah i think the only piece to the confidence the promissory note confidence is the ability to tax its people you know, right. and and because there is real work, there is real value, there is real worth. But even then, you know, that's, that's laying the groundwork for, all right, enough's enough. And I'll leave it at that.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. You know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the economy and what we are seeing out there. And I, I have a couple of keynotes that I think that all the viewers should take note of. One is the rates on credit card debt are now their highest mm-hmm. since they have been uh, in the last 30 years. Credit card debt is at a record $1 trillion. Mortgage balances are up a $1 trillion just this year. Mortgage rates are up uh, to their highest level since the last financial crisis and last housing bubble that we popped. And household debt is at $16.5 trillion dollars these these are figures that are almost inconceivable to the average person because you can stack dollars on top of each other and you would go to the moon and back time after time and again just before we get to a couple of trillion dollars and we're talking about households needing so much money to get out of this hole that there's no way to get back and our only salvation that the government has given us is something called the federal reserve which mm-hmm. as you know is not federal mm-hmm. it's a private organization mm-hmm. and they have just one year ago the fed said that our interest rates would not rise until 2024. a year ago the federal reserve said that inflation was great because it yeah. will encourage transitory. the american people to get two jobs mm-hmm. yeah they said it was transitory and it would fall back below two percent they said not to worry because a soft landing was here they said a recession around the world was not likely, and they said the housing market was not in a bubble. Each one of these things was a lie, but it's what we're told that you have to believe to continue going forward. That's right, wow, well
0: said. Um, it, is, it is frightening. You know, One of the things that I think it has direct impact on as well, and we're going to see ripples of this, is I believe that we are in trouble as a, as a country we're in, we're in trouble as a planet first, but we're we're in trouble as a country when it comes to the coming global food crisis. If it's not already here. And we saw some of this in the Netherlands and we saw this in, um, gosh, was it Singapore? Not Singapore. Um, okay. The organic growing Island.
1: Uh, You've got Indonesia. (laughs) A couple of them have had major problems. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I believe it's right around the corner and you know, it's certainly as we start to see limiting supplies of seed and herbicide, fertilizer, energy costs that are being just impacting farmers. And whether, we, whether we're whether we going to find ourselves in a year, in two years, you know, with, with the same agricultural base that we've been used to, or we wake up and we realize farmers have actually just said, no, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, I'm choosing another profession. It is not worth it. I can't feed my family. I mean, that's, I think, the choices people are making. I know they're making. Yeah. What, what is your assessment on our situation relative to the food supply here in, the, in, in America? I know we talked about Russia, Ukraine, and wheat, but here in America,
1: should we be concerned? I think we've been a glutton with supply availability for a long time and the average person has had access to so much food for so long that they don't see that there could ever be a problem with that supply chain but behind the scenes we have literally poisoned our children with Glyphosate and all sorts of uh, pesticides. We've built them right into the seeds and we have done all these things that scientists are now saying, okay, maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, but there was no other way to feed the world's population on the scale that they need to. They've ruined the topsoil of our planet. Mm-hmm. We know that we are just, we're looking right now at the cliff and it's pretty far away. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen next month, but that cliff's over there and we just keep going closer and closer to it to a time when we do have a real food availability and food supply problem couple that with the fact that farmers in the usa have been uh, subsidized for a very long time true they want to say that we have no socialism here and yet the farming industry is completely subsidized the government buys that grain and keeps control of the uh the prices keeps control of the price of milk does all those different things gives out the grants we know that farmers are saying i can't do it anymore Even with the subsidies, they are losing money and they're losing generations long farms. I saw an article in the last 24 hours of farmers coming out and saying that they were being driven to bankruptcy Mm -hmm. only to be followed almost as if it was a controlled economic downturn in their industry, only to be followed up right away with individuals saying, let me buy your farm. And so that... Makes sense when we look at Bill Gates and we look yeah. at all these other leaders buying up massive amounts of farmland. They just know where we are headed. If you don't control the food, you don't control the people. And so when you have Bill Gates, the single largest landowner in the USA, you have uh, Carl Icahn, you have all of these hedge funds coming in and buying up farmland. We kind of see where the future is going to be. And the future is going to be in your stomach and in your nutrition and that's one thing that i've always you know whenever i tell people about uh uh, you know about nutrient survival i tell them that that's the whole goal here is to keep the nutrients inside of the food because it's depleted literally everywhere else and you have all these other industries who are focused on basically just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and no real focus on what people actually need and i think that From a can of food to growing your own tomato to getting your own long-term food storage, that's really where people need to put their focus here in the near future because it's only going to be a matter of time until Bill Gates, just like he makes you upgrade to Windows 11 when you were perfectly happy with Windows 7, (laughs) there's going to be a point in time where you're going to have to take a little bit less food than your family wants just because that's what they say to do. Well, obviously, we completely agree with you, and it's
0: why we've had such a, a focus on nutrition for our food. Um, ironically, a, a lot of other survival foods and I'm here to bash anybody. Sure. If, if that's all you have and that's all you eat without the nutrition, you're going to actually die. You will right. not be able to sustain yourself. So you need to, you need to figure out how to farm. You need to, you know, homestead, you need to have layers of preps and, Nutri- n- nutrient survival is a great uh, is a great way to get you through those situations for sure. And you know I'm a big believer. I've got my pantry full. I know I know you have uh, multiple different uh, uh, ways to keep yourself and your family safe and protected through those eventualities. Heaven forbid. Uh, but that's great. So l- let me uh, let me ask you one last question, Brad. Um, and this is kind of a fun one. All right, okay. A little, little bit of a fun one. But if you can imagine. You've been prepping for a long time, so you probably have a leg up on everything. But if you can imagine that you are a castaway on a deserted island, and all you have on you is
1: what's in your pockets, what would that be? What would that well, be, Brad? I guess if, if I had the choice, if I knew I was going on a ship and there was the chance for me to, <laughs> to uh, have this happen, uh, you know, I yeah. would, of course, think about the 90%, over 90% of our Earth's available water source on the surface is salt water Mm -hmm. and salt water is going to poison you you're not going to live it's going to slowly poison you and you will die of a mineral imbalance and dehydration so a way to take out that salt from the water is important and the best way to do that is a still uh you know i could fashion something like this stainless steel cup into a still to uh, remove the salt from the salt water and give me distilled water Hopefully, you'd pick up the rest of your nutrients in the other food that you're able to find. Uh, number one is always knowledge. If you know wild edibles and you know where to find water and you know, uh, you know how how uh, far an ant possibly goes for water how far a bird usually goes for water you can start to look at uh, a landscape and say okay I have an idea of where water is going to be if you're in a hilltop view and you start to see different patches of uh landscape you can start to see okay I okay. know where water is going to be and you can get to it uh if I had the chance to really pack an EDC in a way that I you know, I know I'm going for a trip even just a small trip like a bike ride or a small, you know, a, a cruise. Definitely a Sawyer Mini Water Filter. Yep. Uh, they're cheap. They're twenty dollars. They mm-hmm. can, uh, you know, you can buy them at Amazon or Walmart, and you can filter up to a hundred thousand gallons of water. That's amazing. Number one, uh, a, a non-folding full tang stainless steel knife. Uh, so full tang i'm sure most of the viewers know but it just means it's one solid piece uh, it's not a hilt and then a blade because you'll have if you're a baton in the back of that knife you're going to run into real problems in breaking it soon uh, a poncho and definitely a flint and steel i would choose a flint and steel over a lighter just because with that knife and with that flint i can make fire over and over again whereas the lighter it'll get waterlogged uh, it might get broken no more butane and you really have a finite resource there. But definitely, you've got to pay attention to the rules of threes. You know, you have three minutes, you have three seconds, really, to react to impending violence. So if the person comes up to you and they want to do harm to your family, you've got three moments in time to react. You get three minutes without oxygen before our brain here is just lost. Uh, you have three hours in inclement weather where you better change your environment to not either go hypothermic or hyperthermic. You have three days you can live without water. Now I'm a little mm-hmm. thirsty right now. Mm-hmm. The viewers have seen me take a drink. Mm-hmm. If I'm thirsty right now, that means I'm five percent dehydrated. At fifteen percent dehydrated, you go into a coma. So water has to be one of those things that people are always, always thinking about. And then you've got three weeks without food, and we all know where to go to get there. We go.
0: Thank you for that. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Brad, I tell you, this has been. Just like full-spectrum survival, when, when I watch your commentary, when I watch you hit the headlines, when you let your, you know, your magical algorithm do its work and present to viewers like myself what I need to know to survive, to be prepared, to think about protecting what I love... This has been a mind-opening conversation, and I really, really appreciate it. Um, you're, you're, a, you're a wonderful individual. I know you've got uh, a wonderful family around you. Um, and I just thank you again for allowing Nutrient Survival to be a part of full, full Spectrum Survival. Brad Harris, an American patriot, survival expert, media maven, concerned citizen, and everything in between, we thank you thank so you. much for being with us.
1: I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody for taking the time out of their day to be here with us and listen in. Right on, Brad. Well, God bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you.